Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mind Body Green's beauty podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Green's beauty director, Alexandra Engler. And on this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well being. And on today's episode, we are exploring beauty through the lens of hormones. Obviously, the two are very, very deeply intertwined. And I, it is actually one of my favorite subjects to talk about. I feel that every time I, you know, get into this area of, uh, you know, focus and research. I just, I, I am, I'm always learning something new. So I am really, really excited for today's episode. And to do so, I am having on, I mean, the woman who knows more than <laughs> anybody really about this stuff. So I can't wait to dive into it with her. Dr. Taz Batia, welcome. Thank you. What a generous introduction. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for joining me. Um, you know, I know that you are very much part of the mind body green world and you know very much a part of um you know our ecosystem so i have a feeling some of the listeners may know who you are but you know just in case anybody doesn't or or if you know somebody who would like a little bit of a reintroduction to you i would love for you to share your story and your journey into medicine um you know specifically integrative medicine yeah, I mean, I love telling the story and some of your listeners may already know it. So I hope I'm not boring them to tears, but it was very much an accidental journey. It was something I didn't expect. I was your classic adrenaline junkie type doctor. So ER, ICU, that's really where my my head was. But I think in the early years coming out of residency and starting to work, I actually got super sick. So I started to have, you know, hair loss and joint pain and weight gain and acne and all these like at the time, seemingly random symptoms that didn't really fit together. And I did what many of my patients today continue to do. I, you know, ignored it and tried to power through and try to problem solve on my own. And it really, things only really got worse to be 100% honest. And so it was with the urging of my family, you know, my now husband and my mom and um, others that were like, hey, like, just go get checked out. Like, something's not quite right. And I know you don't feel good and you're not acting like yourself. You're retreating and all these other things. So, you know, I started the journey of seeing doctors and trying to get answers. And it was not really a promising and fulfilling experience. You know, I think I made it through seven to eight different doctors. I was given antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. I was told I was stressed, you know, I mean, all of these different things and not really getting any clear understanding of, of why I was having all these different symptoms. So it was finally the hair loss doctor that wanted me on a medication. And it was probably my eighth visit. I, I don't even remember. I've lost count. But he was like, please take this. If you don't take this, you're going to be bald. I was 28 at the time. He was, you're going to be bald by the time you're 30. And no young woman, still single, dating, but still single at the time, you know, ever wants to hear something like that. So, you know, um, I did what he asked and I took the medication and I went about my way. And so one morning, you know, I took the medicine, I went to work out, um, got in my car, got super dizzy and lightheaded. One of the side effects of the medication was a drop in blood pressure. My blood pressure is always historically low anyways. And so I ended up passing out as I was driving and could have hurt somebody or obviously hurt myself. So I think it was, unfortunately, it takes these experiences to kind of shake you out of your comfort zone, which I hate. But um, I was like, I, got, I have to figure this out. So I just started trying to get my hands on everything. We didn't have the community that we do today. There was no Mind Body Green. There was no IFM. There was no like, you know, 
organized, structured way of finding information. But I started studying Chinese medicine and acupuncture. I found the world of holistic medicine. They were like their own little groups that the regular medical world kind of shunned. So found those guys and just started reading everything that they were writing and, and putting out there and got really intrigued and started going down that path. So I saw like an acupuncturist, I saw an herbal Chinese herbal practitioner, I saw, you know, all these different people. And as as they were telling me things that I had never heard before, and I've been through now a 14 year educational journey, you know, post high school, you know, I'm like, what in the world? So slowly I changed my diet, found out I needed to be gluten free, found out I had a thyroid issue, ultimately find found out that I have PCOS. And so that was very much the cause of the hair loss. And kind of got better. It took a few years, but finally got better. And as I'm studying these things and getting certified, right, people are asking me questions. They're like, well, what did you do? Like, how did that happen? Or, you know, what would you do for this? And so finally, I did the Fellowship in Integrative Medicine with Dr. Andy Weil out in Arizona. And just really finally was able to pull all this together and like craft it into a plan, right? Like um, seeing how you merge nutrition with medication, with lifestyle, with a procedure, like kind of like starting to get a glimpse of what that might be. And came out of that fellowship very changed, um, not wanting to practice in the ER anymore, for sure. And it was my husband who encouraged me to start. He was like, just start something, you know, start one day a week, two days a week, you don't have to worry about overhead. You know, people want this information. Just see a few patients. You can, you know, drop down and do like five or six shifts in the ER. And we thought we had the perfect plan. But of course, all plans are to be disrupted. That's just kind of the way it goes. And so we very quickly, you know, found out that we had two children now under the age of, you know, uh, 15 months back to back as we started practices, as we worked outside the practices. And it just blew up. I don't know how else to describe it. So it went from like, oh, this is my fun consult hobby thing because it's a passion project to like, holy cow, like we have lines, people are waiting, like no one has anywhere to sit. I've got to figure this out. This is no longer a hobby. So I kept like dropping ER shifts and putting more and more time into the practice and finally decided at some point, you know, a year or two goes by and I was like, this has to be a medical home. This has to be where people can come and there's a quarterback for their health and they can manage their entire picture of their health because people are tired. They're tired of running around to different doctors, getting chips and fragments of information, trying to piece that information together. It's not really how the body works. It's not really how medicine should work. And so I just made it a mission. I think after a year or two of, of this journey of like, okay, this is no longer a hobby and this has got to be a real thing. You know, I just was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it hundred percent. I'm going to create, you know, these medical homes. We're going to do integrative and functional medicine. It wasn't whole functional at the time, integrative and holistic medicine. We're going to put it all together and this is what we're going to do. And it just continued to grow. And so today we have two locations. We're working on our third. We have a virtual platform. We have a spa and we have about 12 medical providers and about six or seven other additional providers in acupuncture, nutrition, and those type of things. So it's been an incredibly fulfilling journey. Um, we'll be celebrating our 15th anniversary in January. And I think 35,000 or so people have walked through our doors. So I'm really proud now looking back at all the work we've done. But it was, again, total accident. I watch entrepreneurs today and they're like, yeah, I've got like this business plan and we're going to do like, you know, we're doing our seed raise and then we're going to go into this exit. And then we're going to, and I'm like, I had none of that. I was like, 
I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of doing it. So I never had this like well thought through business plan and this is the company I wanted to create. I was just trying to answer a need and it, it very much resonated with everybody. I, I know integrative medicine covers a lot of ground and I and that's the nature of it, right? Um, but I'm curious, are there any areas specifically that pique your interest the most? You know, is there some like areas that you consider more of a specialty? Yeah, I mean, I think what's happened is, is that, you know, initially when I created the practice, it was very much founded on the idea of the family and women and children's health and how that so impacted the health of a family and a family unit. And I continue to be fascinated by families and family units and how those work and what keeps them together and what makes them fall apart and all that other stuff. But it very much is centered around the female, you know, the women in the family you know, and I'm not just talking a nuclear family with like a mom and dad and two kids, but it could be like, you know, a family where there's parents to take care of, where there's extended people to to take care of or a community. You know, we think of family in different terms. But um, but if a woman is not doing well, whatever infrastructure around her is there usually crumbles is what I was noticing and what I had witnessed in my own life. Right. And so, you know, for me, getting women empowered and healthy and having, you know, have giving them the ability to have their voice and to really be able to move forward in life was so important. And as I dove into that, and really that became as I'm listening to stories, you realize I'm listening and I'm hearing people's stories over and over again, you know, hormones became a big part of that, that journey, you know, and it was, I don't feel good. I'm tired. I have anxiety. I'm gaining weight. I'm snapping at my spouse. You know, I'm not the person I used to be. I've got brain fog. Like I can't complete a sentence. You know, all these things that they were complaining about, we would wind back, you know, as we do our journeys with patients, we would wind back to the data and we would find consistently that there's this crossover between how they're living their life and the choices that they're making and what their hormones were doing and how that relationship or that dynamic you know, was really driving how they presented themselves in the world. So the topic of hormones really was important to me, right? Remember, it's like I had PCOS. I had a thyroid issue. It got me out of that. I went from not wanting to get dressed to going out to being, you know, happy to speak in public, going on TV, doing all these things that, you know, that person four years ago probably would never have done. And so, you know, I figured like it's very hard to translate this this you know message of like oh i need you to be healthy because you're going to be your best self that's a very vague concept but it's very easy to help people understand women understand that your hormones are driving your behavior if we get your hormones on track then kind of things will unfold the way they're supposed to unfold in your life so that's been a major driver and then when we look at eastern medicine they valued women's health. They valued hormonal health. They valued the rhythmic nature of being a woman. There was no absolutes that you had to be this at, at all times or you're going to be one way all the time. There was very much, hey, women are fluid. They shift. They change. Their needs change. Their hormone levels change. You know, what they should eat changes. Everything shifts and changes. We're fluid. We're shifting. And so this idea of shifting um, and honoring it and celebrating it, to be 100% honest, is very unique to Eastern medicine, completely not present in the Western medical model. So I think, you know, as time has gone by, and I told you like we're hitting 
15 years, I think women's health, you know, uh, female health, adolescent health, you know, perimenopause, menopause, PCOS, Hashimoto's, these are things that like we know at the back of our hands. And we really take this integrative approach and combine together, you know, gut and liver and nutrition and put it all together. Now, again, you know, some women are not even able to dial into the concept of hormones. But think back to my story. It was a vanity story, right? I'm losing hair. I'm getting acne. You know, beauty is really important. Like, you know, like how you present yourself. I come from like this gorgeous family. Like, I don't want to be the one that like has all this other like physical stuff I'm super conscious of. So for a lot of women, that's the motivating piece. And they don't understand or the message isn't out there yet, I think, loud enough of how so many of the things that we dump into this beauty category, right? Like our hair, our skin, our weight, you know, uh, how much muscle we have, all this other stuff is really tied back to hormones. And so if you can bite that off, you know, then you save yourself so much money and time. I mean, I used to spend with money I didn't have, which is really embarrassing, but I used to spend, you know, probably, you know, a hundred dollars a week on, you know, glycolic peels and extractions and all this other stuff to get my skin looking good only to have it do the exact same thing the following week, you know? And if I had only known that, you know, hormones and chemistry were at the root of all of the stuff, I would have saved all that money and effort and all this, you know, all the other things that we do to try to look better. So I get really excited when women come through. I get super excited when women from about 20 to 35 or so come through because I feel like that's where I got sick. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to be able to stop this. You know, you're not going to have to go through what I went through. So I get really, really excited by that age group. And then now as I'm entering my 50s, right, I'm 51 now, like as I'm entering kind of this next iteration of whatever it, whatever that's going to be, you know, I'm kind of excited about those women. They're my peers, they're my colleagues and how we're going to redefine kind of this next few decades and take away kind of the ugliness and the negativeness that is typically portrayed with the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Sure. Um, I mean, so much of what you just said resonates with me and I know will resonate with so much more audience just from feedback that I've gotten from our, our community. And there's so many pinpoints that I, I, I want to talk about throughout this conversation because I think so much of what you just said is so fascinating. And to go on to the beauty aspect, you know, beauty is a lot of people's introduction into their hormone health, right? Whether it's hair loss, whether it's acne, whether it's, you know, changes in skin structure. Um, that's how people kind of get introduced to this concept in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, so I want to set up the, the foundation for this conversation about how beauty and hormone health are so deeply intertwined, which is, of course, a lot of ground to cover. Um, but, you know, starting with the basics and kind of, you know, getting some of the terminology right is when we talk about hormones, we're talking about the endocrine system. And, you know, I, I want people to know what we're talking about when we use these terms and this language. So, you know, and it, it sounds like a basic question, but I think it's a great place to start is when we talk about the endocrine system, what are we talking about? And, you know, what's happening with the body within the endocrine system? Yeah, I love these questions. And I do have a book coming out, by the way, in October, The Hormone Shift. And there's a chapter in it that I think I called Hormone University. And it is very much like... I want everybody to understand, like, what are we talking about here when we're talking about the endocrine system? 
We're talking about the key organs and the molecules and the hormones that are secreted in a network. I mean, I would almost imagine like a spider web of sort that is interconnected, but you have different command centers in it driving what the body's supposed to do. So you've got everything from your hypothalamus, which sits in the brain, to your pituitary, to your thyroid, you have your ovaries, you have your uterus, you know, you have your bones, your muscles, all of these are a part of this endocrine system because each of those organs are secreting hormones essentially at the end of the day. And these hormones have jobs to do. And so I always say there are about seven major hormones, but honestly, there are about 50 to 60 hormones, maybe even more that we haven't even identified yet that are sort of at work in the human body driving, you know, lots of different processes, how we think, our metabolism, what is the quality of our hair and our skin, our body temperatures, you know, our skin microbiome. I mean, so it's just driving so much. So the endocrine system is that spider web. It's that network of all those different organs and all the different messengers they're putting out on any given day and how they are all interrelated and interconnected. So, you know, I'll often tell patients, like if you're going to mess with one hormone over here, it's like a domino effect. It's going to have an impact downstream, right? So the Western way would be that I'm going to treat this and this and this and this, right? Like all these different points. But sometimes you do one thing and it fixes everything, you know? So the endocrine system is that network and it's a very interdependent network, but it doesn't exist in isolation. It's not even in the same place. We're talking about head and gut and pelvis and bones. I mean, it's all over the place, right? It's really the ultimate demonstration of holism when it comes to the body. And so it's driving things that you don't even think are hormonal. And so that's why the concept around hormones and beauty often gets missed, right? Like, well, how can a hormone, which is supposed to be about my period, or it's supposed to be about getting pregnant or about going into menopause, how can that have anything to do with how I feel about beauty or how I feel how or how I think or if I'm anxious or what my heart health is doing or gut health. So I think I want to really dispel that myth, right? Like this hormone web, this endocrine system is ultimately driving probably 80% of what the body is doing. But that hormone system needs help. So that's when it's dependent on other things. It's dependent on what the gut is doing, what your nutrients look like, what your liver is doing, what your environment's like, your stress levels, and so much more. What you just said is so important that I want to highlight it again is, you know, I think so often we think of the hormones in relation to just the sex hormones or, you know, in relation to just reproductive health. Um, But there are so many different types of hormones and how, you know, they function in the body varies uh, to a great degree. Um, And so, you know, I think to have this conversation, it's so important to emphasize that fact that we need to come to understand that hormones is it's a broad, broad category. Um, And, you know, how how it plays in the body is vast. You know, how do you go about speaking with people about broadening their horizon in that sense because i do i feel like a lot of women get caught up on that and they almost like hormones almost gets like um i don't want to say it's there's a taboo around it but kind of yeah i mean i think it's just been something we don't talk about and i think now we're talking about it but now how do we like target that conversation in a productive way right i feel like there's a lot of noise out there i hear a lot of like 
you know, you can't check hormones, you can't balance hormones, hormones have nothing to do with X, Y, or Z and all this other stuff. I think all of that is highly unproductive. You know, I think that, you know, why would you not check your hormone levels is sort of my answer back. Why would we not try to understand, you know, as shifting creatures, right, as people that are fluid and dynamic, you know, why would you not try to understand where that is? You want to know where your heart rate is. We wear these heart rate variability watches. We're wearing aura rings to track sleep. We've got Fitbits. We've got all kinds of other data. Why do we not want to understand where our hormones are when they're driving so much of what's going on with us? So I think it just takes a lot of conversation because I think maybe with the patriarchal model of medicine that's been practiced now for you know over 60, 70 years in this country, around the world, you know, there's been shame with hormones, right? Like if you're not going to get, if you're not, there's a lot of excitement about fertility, like you're going to get pregnant, but then there's the shame of not being able to get pregnant, you know? But once you're pregnant, there's a huge celebration. Everyone's super excited. But the minute pregnancy is over, there's been very little discussion. I mean, only more recently are we having honest discussions about postpartum, you know, what's happening to women's hormones as they cross 35 and 40, you know, what happens to us at 50. And I think for women, what we're saying, what many women today are saying and kind of a rallying cry is that like, look, like we're not done. We're not done just because we're done having kids, right? And we're not done because we didn't have kids. And so it's like really important for us to understand how to feel our best. And if hormones are a part of that conversation, we want that information, you know? And so I think that's why you might sense it's taboo because in the exam room and in the patriarchal model, these things are shut down really fast. You know, women to this day will walk in from somewhere else and be like, I, I, you know, I talked to my doctor and they're like, you know, I talked to him about my weight. They're like, calories in, calories out. You know, well, what about my hormones? That doesn't matter. You know, and so they're like, so like they almost feel guilty for bringing up the word hormone. So we've got that ingrained in our psyche. If you talk to our mothers and our grandmothers, they didn't know what their hormones were. They didn't even know what a hormone is, you know. And so there's been education that's just been denied to most women in the past. And I think it gets further shut down in the exam room. And I think it has to change. And as we've seen with many conditions, we we really have to be our own advocates. Yeah, all excellent points. I want to ask, what's the difference between, I want to say like a balanced, like having balanced hormones and unbalanced hormones. But I, when I ask this question, I'm almost curious, you know, is there a way that you can even have a fully balanced endocrine system? You know, does it change for everybody? Is it constantly evolving? I guess when I, I, I wanted to ask this question, but now that I'm asking it, I'm like, is this even the right way to phrase this question? You know? Well, I think you're asking me if it's possible to, as a shifting person, to have balanced hormones. And the answer is absolutely because there is a foundation that all women need to build for themselves. There's some common themes and patterns, but there's also a lot of individuality within that, right? So every woman should know what the right diet is for her. Everybody should know like kind of what their nutrient pitfalls are. Everyone should understand the importance of sleep and restful sleep. Eastern medicine stressed how sleep was so crucial to hormone balance, part of why I got into trouble. You know, everyone should really understand the role of the environment. We know that endocrine disrupting chemicals are everywhere. They are shifting our baseline hormone state to one that is very 
estrogen dominant, meaning that we're holding on to metabolites of estrogen, we're holding on to androgens, which is responsible for a lot of what we see in the mirror, right? Why we might have bloating or acne or hair loss or skin that is not working for us and things like that. So I think that there's, you know, a lot of, you know, confusion, but at its baseline, we all need to build a foundation. And that's what, as you know, that's what I talk about a lot in my book and also why I even encourage people to do at-home hormone testing, because I think it's all a part of building this foundational knowledge about your health and your and your levels and then being able to track it and be like, oh, that's where I felt really great. I'm feeling crummy now. Look at the difference in this data, right? So, so yes, I think the answer to your question is yes, it is possible. It does take work though. It's not going to be like, here's your prescription. You're all done. We'll see you in 10 days. That's not how it's going to work. And so I think it takes a consumer shift or a mindset shift on our part to understand first, accept the premise that we are shifting, you know, moving creatures. And because we're shifting and moving creatures and we want to do a lot of things, right? And naturally through a women's life, I talk about in the book too, there we have about five or six different shifts we go through because we know we're going to go through that. It's our responsibility to check those numbers and stay on top of it and understand where they are and then continue to build on your foundational plan to keep your hormones balanced. You're going to feel better, think better, look better, and really be you, you know? And at the end of the day, that's that's what this is about. Sure. I I think why I struggled with asking that question because I I was adopting a very um, simplistic mindset with hormones and the fact that, you know, balance is a journey. Like you're always working towards balance. It's not an end destination. And so when I was asking you, you know, is it possible uh, to balance your hormones? I guess I was thinking about it in the sense of, is it possible to get to that end destination? Whereas we, as you know, a broader audience need to understand that it's it's never an end destination. It's just a constant conversation between Correct. you and your body. Correct. Yeah. It's not, it's, and that is exactly it. And it's so much of a metaphor of like where we all need to be anyways, right? It's not all about the destination. It's more about the journey and where is the journey currently, right? Is your journey, you know, where are you? Are you in your 20s? And that's a journey that might be different from being pregnant, which is a journey that's different from being postpartum, which is different from going to perimenopause, right? So where is your journey? And embrace it. Why are we afraid of it? You know, like, why are we so afraid of these different shifts and changes? Change is good and it it makes us better and it makes us evolve, you know? And so I think that we just need to embrace it and go for it and not be afraid of the information. I want to help people identify signs and symptoms that are, you know, common when perhaps you are having uh, issues with your hormones. This is a beauty podcast. So of course, I'm going to ask a few more of the beauty related ones, but I will take, you know, any sort of sign and symptoms that you keep an eye out for, you know, with your own patients. Yeah, I mean, I have a list, right? So here is a big one. Again, it's personal. But the minute you see changes in hair, right, whether it's hair loss or a change in hair texture or a change in hair moisture, that's a great sign that there's been a shift in your hormones. I think staying on that theme, your nails are a big one too. You know, if your nails are breaking and brittle, then you want to think thyroid. You want to understand what's happening with some of your hormone levels because that's a great way to tell you know, what's going on there too. I think, 
you know, we've touched on skin a couple of times, but everything from acne to eczema to psoriasis, these are all things you need to look at in the context of your hormones and understand maybe what that's doing. And I think premature wrinkling, like early wrinkling, you know, skin sagging, you know, what's happening there. We need the hormones, especially estrogen, right, to build collagen, to replenish the skin, to aid in skin turnover. And I think if some of that's happening, then that's where we start to see changes in our skin and and very easy skin wrinkling, skin breakage, all those different types of things. So those are some of the external signs and symptoms. I think weight is one that no one wants to talk about. There's all this stuff around weight. But your weight and metabolic rate will change with hormone shifts, and that's just a given. And so we need to understand what that shift means for you. Does that mean that your diet has to change? Does that mean your activity levels need to change? You need to be more active throughout the day. Do you need weights versus yoga or Pilates? These are questions that we have to ask. But weight definitely does play a role, and body composition can change too. So again, trying to understand that this is normal and natural. I have women in complete panic being like, ever since I gave birth to my child, you know, I can't do this or that. It's normal not to be able to do this or that, right? And I think that there's a certain amount of self-acceptance that needs to come with what your normal may be and how good you're feeling in in that, right? Instead of like thinking, well, I've got to correct back to what I looked like when I was 16, 17 years old. You know, that's not fair, you know? So I think those are some of the beauty signs and symptoms that I see over and over again. Thinning eyebrows, thinning eyelashes, those are more of that, you know, that's another one that we could add to the list. Great segue into my next question. Um, You know, how do hormones affect the aging process? You know, I think I think for women in particular, you know, we tend, our minds tend to go straight to menopause and, you know, the changes that we experience during menopause. But I, I know that hormones affect how we age throughout our lives, you know, so what's happening um, internally that's showing up externally? Yeah, I love this question. You know, I have a 15-year-old daughter and I'm not, she and I have had some conversations around her eating and I feel like she's not getting enough protein. So she came to me the other day and she was like, mom, look, like, I think I'm getting a wrinkle here. <laughs> and I'm like, you're definitely aging. You're not getting the collagen that you need. And so your skin's not turning over. <laughs> she just looked at me blankly. I mean, I was messing with her, but, but I think that, you know, the hormones play a big role in the quality of skin and hair because they're highly dependent on estrogen and progesterone and thyroid and some of these things. So when there is hormone depletion, which by the way can happen if you're not eating well, if you're super stressed, if you've gone through a big catastrophic experience or procedures, so you could be 15 or 16 and have hormone depletion and accelerate the aging cycle. That actually is possible. But aging happens because there's hormone, this concept in Eastern medicine that they call low chi or a depleted state. So in depletion, as the hormone levels decline, then you don't have skin turnover. You're not plumping up the skin, right? You're losing hair, you're gaining weight, uh, things are breaking very easily. And that pushes you down further that aging sort of uh, road or highway a little bit faster. So I think it's really important to understand this concept of depletion because it can be reversed. And I think that's what everybody doesn't get. Like this is not a mutable, again, point in time that you hit and nothing can be done. Hands in the air, you know, nothing can be done here on out. 
this is something that can be reversed. And it can be reversed through foods that nourish hormones. It can be reversed through many different herbal remedies. It can be reversed with sleep and self-care and nurturing. And it can be reversed with some hormone replacement, right? Getting very gentle, low-dose hormone replacement that works with the body, not against it. So I think when we think about aging, yes, it happens. It happens because there is hormone depletion, but it can be reversed. And I think that's where we really want to focus our mindset on is that, you know, any shift that's happening, how can we support it? How can we minimize its impact, right? And how can we still function with the same vitality that we always have? Because that ultimately is the goal. Yeah, you know, I'd love to get in a little bit more specifics in terms of how you can support your hormones, um, especially through the aging process. You know, you mentioned diet. I think that's a great place to start. Do you have um, any nutrition, you know, pillars or guidelines that folks can follow? I'm sure it's different for everybody, but if you just have, you know, some broader stroke ones. Yeah, I mean, I have many, but I think very baseline, it's getting the protein, you know, getting consistent. And I talk about this too in the book, um, we do a 30-day hormone reset, but getting, it's this idea of building energy and you build energy using nutrients, getting plenty of protein in, getting plenty of healthy fats in. So those are what the thing, those are the things you want to bring in. You want to dump on the other hand, the things that are depleting or lower energy. So you want to deplete things like, I mean, you want to get rid of things like alcohol or sugar, a lot of processed and packaged foods, a lot of refined carbohydrates. Those actually deplete the body further, make it harder to like regenerate hormone levels. So there are foods that work and there are foods that don't work for sure. You know, so there's definitely that. I think in addition to diet is sort of piggybacked onto this conversation around nutrients. We know that B vitamins, magnesium, vitamin D, the fats, these are all things very important for healthy hormone balance, right? Those are, to me, the basics, like you don't leave home without when you're talking about hormones. Um, So those are important. And some people with a healthy diet get those levels to where they need to be. But nowadays, a lot of people don't because our environment is not what it used to be. And we're not able to absorb those nutrients. And then I think your diet matters. So I had to go gluten-free It was creating a lot of inflammation where I couldn't absorb nutrients. It was messing with my hormone balance. So getting on an anti-inflammatory diet is a good baseline for everybody. You know, some people take that further and they make it even more personalized or individualized. So those are some of the tactical ways of beginning the conversation around hormone balancing. Okay. And then what are some lifestyle adjustments that you encourage people to make uh, to, you know, better support their hormones? You mentioned sleep earlier. I'm sure that's something that comes up quite a bit. Yeah, it's interesting. Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine really valued sleep when it came to women's hormones. They really believed women needed to sleep from at least 11 p.m. to about 5 a.m. or so. They needed to sleep through the liver meridian time, which was a time where if you didn't sleep, cortisol levels would be higher than normal. And then that would trigger a change in the entire endocrine system. And they were right. So deep, consistent sleep, especially between those hours, is critical for hormone balance. I don't think we can, you know, not stress the importance of uh, stress, you know, enough, not to use that word twice, but... But I think, you know, again, I talk about superwoman syndrome. I talk about women today being one of the most stressed generations of women because we're trying to do it all. And sometimes it's simply not realistic. And what's happening is that the stress drives cortisol levels up. Again, those emotions associated with stress, whether they're anger or worry or grief, they wear the hormone levels down. 
And we have earlier hormone crashing. We have more issues with infertility and acne and PCOS today because of stress. And women going into menopause a little bit faster. So I think that, you know, really understanding how to build a life that is congruent for you and not pushing you on this, you know, kind of aging spectrum much faster. And you have some checks and balances in place, right? In, in addition to sleep, you're exercising, you're getting out in nature, you're maybe scheduling acupuncture or massage or one of these things, but something that really refills you so that, you know, stress and trauma and all these other things that life can throw our way doesn't completely crash your endocrine system. Sure. Um, I love that point about just, you know, setting yourself up. So when life does happen, you're better able to... Ready. Yeah. You know, because I think sometimes people hear, oh, stress causes so many issues on the body and people don't know how to interpret that because they're like, well, what am I supposed to do? Life is stressful. Um, and it's not that you can fully remove it away from your life. It's just you want to set yourself up for success and have, you know, practices in place that you can rely on when life does become stressful. I think that's such an important point and often gets missed in these conversations. I think when stress first became a thing we all talked about, it was like, how do I decrease stress? How do I get work-life balance? All these ideas, right? Which are still really, really important. But here's the thing, you can plan and you can try to orchestrate the perfect life and the perfect amount of balance, but life is life. And always there's going to be something that's not expected or a turn you're going to have to take. And how you weather that is really important. So having that toolbox in place, right? You've got your yoga place that you like to go to three times a week. You've got your favorite park. You know, you've got some meditation or mindfulness practices in, or you have a place where you can just go and journal and dump this stuff out so it's not sitting in you. I think those are all habits to build so that when the twists and turns come, it's a little bit easier to navigate and it's not so heavy, you know, on your heart. Sure. Um, you know, earlier you mentioned uh, endocrine disrupting chemicals and, you know, we're constantly bombarded by them. Um, and it's something that I think about a lot as a beauty editor. And, you know, I try to consider it as much as I can whenever I'm recommending products and whatnot. Um I think people struggle with this concept because it seems so overwhelming. They don't even know where to start. Um, so, you know, how basically like what are some baseline stuff that you tell people to look for? Because you can't avoid these at all costs, but you can certainly minimize your exposure to them, right? Definitely. And I think this is one that everyone does get super like, ah, I like, don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. And I, there are a couple of categories I feel like if we can become comfortable with, then you are lowering your load and you're making a big dent in your toxic load or toxic exposure, right? Which decreases your disease risk. It improves, you know, overall your overall health and really plays a huge role in the beauty conversation. And so I think the first place I usually like everyone to start is food. You know, pick high quality food. It's so important. You know, pick brightly colored fruits and vegetables, eat real foods whenever you can, drink water. These are things that really do help to minimize your endocrine disrupting load and help the other organs of detoxification. So I think food is a big category. I think the second is thinking about your skin. Remember the skin is the has the largest surface area when it comes to organs of the body. So this is a lot of space. And if we're like slathering on products like full of chemicals or you know we're using things that have uh, parabens and phthalates and all these different 
ingredients in them that now there is the science to show how it disrupts hormones, you know, well, then we're doing ourselves a disservice on that front. So I usually say go for food, then really start getting comfortable with skincare and even makeup. And everything doesn't have to be perfect, right? There's this idea of perfection that we need to get rid of. Like you can pick your three favorite skincare products. Maybe one of them is not EDC free, but the others are, right? So you have a range. You can pick your favorite makeup products. Maybe not all of them are EDC free, but you can pick a few that, you know, that really are. And that way you're mixing and matching and lowering your load overall. So I think this idea of balance, but still being super educated and super aware is really important. And after food and skin, I think the next place to go is looking at your home. Like, what are you using in the home? You know, what's your chemical load with clean, you know, cleaners and what your soaps and your dishwashing detergent and your laundry detergent and all this other stuff? Maybe looking at that is probably the third category. I am so happy to hear you bring up the beauty point about balance because that's advice that I I live by personally where I'm like, I have a few things I just can't give up, but, <laughs> you know, I think that's okay because I would say 95% of my routine is, you know, clean, quote unquote, and I'll allow myself the splurges here and there with a few things that maybe <laughs> aren't the cleanest. Um, so I love to hear you say that. I feel like that's very validating for me. Okay, so the last thing that I want to chat about is how you take care of yourself. Uh, this is a beauty podcast, so I always like to start about your with your beauty routine. Uh, you know, do you do you have any beauty products that you use consistently, or you know, you you have in your arsenal? I do, and you know, beauty was a big deal in our family, right? Like my mom was always the one who was making everything homemade, like every homemade mask or scalp mask, face mask, all those different things. So I like good products. I've been using a lot of Veracity's products recently and I love them. I feel like I genuinely have a change in my skin texture and tone and even my pore size. Uh, they have EDC skincare. They have EDC serums, both for inflammation and for just hydration. So I'm using more of their hydration line. That's my favorite. And they have um, the hyaluronic serum, which I love. I feel like I glow in the morning when I use it. So I love their, you know, I just love their products. I've been using those for probably the last few months. I really have noticed a difference. So right now, you know, they're kind of my favorite between being EDC free, being effective, and then really seeing some of the results that I need, especially, you know, going into this next decade for sure. And then, you know, how do you take care of yourself as a whole? I, I ask this question and I let people interpret it however makes sense for them. But, you know, um, obviously this is all connected. So, you know, how do, how do you prioritize your health? I mean, I run pretty hard, but I have a lot of checks and balances in place, right? So I, my morning routine, you know, like if I can do 10 minutes either of journaling or meditation or mindfulness, then that's a win. Um, I love working out and exercising. So it always changes everything from swimming to yoga, Pilates, actually doing weights, you know, whatever that is. So trying to fit in some form of movement at least, you know, four or five times a week. Um, I do schedule automatically a massage now every week. It's just on the books and it happens because if it's not on there, then I won't do it and I'll find an excuse to do something else. So I've been fairly consistent with that. And then I love acupuncture and facials. We have some great treatments at a spa that's attached to one of my clinics. And so I love going there for that as well. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was so fascinating. I, like I said earlier, I, I love talking about hormone health. I think that, you know, there is so much for, for, for us to explore and learn and learn about ourselves through hormones and when we talk about hormones. Um, so I, I always look forward to conversations like this. So, you know, thank you for sharing your expertise and your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. For more beauty content from the team at MindBuddyGreen, you can always read along with our content at mindbuddygreen.com, follow us on social media, and of course, tune into next week's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. And if you ever want to reach out with questions or insights or thoughts, you can find me on Instagram at Alex underscore Blair underscore. Thanks so much for your time.